Good morning. Uh, grab your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, if you haven't picked up on it yet, there's not a lack of opportunities to serve and get involved uh, during the season. And so uh, find a way to step in. We like to provide many ways to, to serve. Um, I'm a little nasally today. I, I'm going to tell you a story that probably you don't, wanna, don't necessarily want to hear. But I, uh, when I was in college, I uh, dove for a loose ball during a practice and my teammate landed on the back of my head and uh, smashed my nose into my face. And so my drainage system doesn't work right. And so I had a head cold well over a week ago, but all of that's still up in there because it doesn't know how to find its way out. So pray for me. Uh, always. Thanks, Garrett. I appreciate that. <laughs> last, last weekend, I actually had the opportunity to attend service with my mom and sister down in the Seattle area, um, which as a pastor, that's not something we get to do a whole lot is go and worship somewhere else. And it was such a gift. And um, it, it was a gift because you get to see the, the body of Christ working in different parts in, of our area, but in the world. And uh, it's just a reminder that the kingdom of God is advancing. Amen. Uh, his goodness is is so prevalent everywhere, and and whenever I'm away from this community, I'm always grateful for what we have here, uh, what we get to do together, that we get together and worship and serve and care for one another. That's such a gift. Uh, so it's good to be home, though. We have the best church in the world. So the big seed church, like the global church, is what I'm saying. You guys are selfish. I know. <laughs> Last week, Zach kicked off a series for us uh, titled Generosity, and it's probably one of my favorite messages that I've ever heard on generosity. He, he shared this picture uh, that I just, I've held it in my brain all week of, of us being dirt. He's really keen on calling us dirt bags. If you don't know Zach and you hear him preach, get ready. He's going to call you a name. Uh, but he, he described how we were formed and made from the dirt that God breathed his life into us. And there's value in the dirt, and these dirt bags or these people made of dirt are walking on streets of gold. So the value is in the dirt. The gold doesn't really matter that because we're walking on it. I just thought the picture is like so profound uh, of our relationship with the things that we have. You're important. The stuff that you have is valuable in your life, but you are the most valuable thing in God's eyes. Isn't that good news? It's good news today. Uh, During this season, as we head towards Thanksgiving and Christmas, we always do some sort of series of messages around Thanksgiving or or generosity because it's really a way to prepare our hearts for what this season means. Um, You you heard Andrew say the arrival. If you're new to our church, first of all, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We are as weird as you're seeing and get used to it, I guess. Uh, but the arrival, the arrival, the term Advent, you may be more familiar with it, and Advent just means the arrival. And, and Christmas is about celebrating the arrival of God himself, Jesus in the flesh. And so all the messages kind of lead up to Christmas, and we talk about those things. But, but we also, as a church, celebrate the arrival as a, as a chance to, to give and leverage what we have for God's kingdom purposes in the world. And so on the 17th of December, we'll do an offering here in our services. Our kids will all come over and be a part of it. And, and everything that comes in on December 17th goes out to serve our partners, one of them you just saw, uh, locally and globally. 
And it's, it's incredible what has happened over the last series of years through our collective effort and generosity. Over six years, we have raised close to $250,000, uh, which is phenomenal. Last year alone, I think it was close to $60,000 that came in. And, and all of that money goes out to serve these partnerships and these people locally in our community and, and around the globe. I mean, you, through your giving, you're, you're building houses in Ensenada. And you're helping women in Indonesia recover. And you're, I mean, it's, it's really cool to be a part of. Uh, all right, let's get to the message. Um, Zach, last week, I wrote this down because he had a lot of quotable things that he said. But he said, every Christian activity begins with submission to God. If you want to be generous like Jesus was, you have to give yourself to God. You have to surrender. And you don't have to look too far in the scriptures to find out that the people of God, historically, Old Testament and New Testament, were created and designed to be a generous people. It's everywhere in the scriptures. I'll give you an example from the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4, describes a community of faith. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is a beautiful description of a community. It's amazing. They, they were unified in heart. There was unity. It says that there was a great grace upon them. No one was needy. Everyone leveraged what they had to care for each other. It's, it's beautiful. It's a good example of what generosity in a community can look like. But I want to point out that this wasn't necessarily a forced or manipulated generosity. This was just followers of Jesus following Jesus. And as they surrendered their life to the Lord and they leveraged who they were for the people around them, great grace was upon them. All the needs were met and they worshiped God together. You don't have to try to uh, convince people who have experience the amazing mercy and forgiveness of God, the, the generosity, the blessing of God to be generous, because it's just who they are. It's who we are. I could give you a hundred examples of how this takes place every week right here in our community with people who follow Jesus. They, they leverage their life to serve and care for others. Uh, I think of a, an example just a couple weeks ago. Um, I was sick, and I had a friend text me and say, hey, I'm bringing you some, some soup. I'm going to bring you dinner. Because uh, I wasn't feeling well, and Katie was working. And uh, I didn't call this person and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm sick, and you're a Christian, so you better bring me some supper. That would be strange. Uh, that didn't happen. This person just simply said, I see a need, and, and what a way to just serve somebody, and they did. And I was blessed by that. Think about this for a minute. Have you ever run into somebody who is um, generous with their life, 
And have you thought to yourself, man, this person just needs to knock it off. Like, I wish, I wish they would, ju- they've, they've got some problems, they're, they're mentally unstable, they're too generous, they're too kind, there's something wrong with them. I don't think anybody would see somebody that's generous and caring and go, gosh, they need to see a counselor. I, there's something inside of us that actually resonates with the idea of generosity. I think it's because we're actually created to live that way. And when we kind of encounter it or we're a part of it ourselves, we're just being who we're created to be, and there's something beautiful in that. It's something that we all enjoy and and can participate in. God has wired us this way. And I believe that when when we do that, when we're aligned, when we submit our hearts to God, as Zach said last week, we can actually experience what the story of Acts chapter 4 described. Uh, a place where there's God's grace upon us and his favor amongst us, where needs are met all around, no one was needy, and people just worship God together. See, that's what we, we do experience on, on some level. Uh, but I'm, I'm also a realist, a borderline skeptic. Most of the time, anybody a skeptic? Like, you see some things happen, you go, happening here that can be me because when i look at my own life in light of acts chapter 4 or really any of the scriptures for that matter do you ever read the bible and go man my life doesn't really match up with what i'm seeing and happen here there seems to be something that is off and when i think about our community and you read these texts it's like man we we have so much to grow we can all grow something isn't Something's off there. So why do we have such a hard time? I'm asking myself this question. Why, why is it so difficult to engage fully in, in surrender and, and not just money? I mean, it ends up being money, but it's our time, our treasure, and our talents. What is, what is the issue with leveraging our lives? I mean, the God of the universe left heaven to come and give himself for us. Why, why is it hard to follow his lead in that? I'm going to give you a couple personal thoughts on why this may happen. These, these are true for me, uh, and then we'll read 2 Corinthians. First, I think uh, we've experienced bad theology. And here's, here's what I mean. Uh, theology is just the study of God, the study of God. And let's just say when it comes to money or time, treasures, and talents, uh, there may be a few examples of people who use their understanding of who God is and their understanding of scriptures to twist them in a way that is highly beneficial for themselves and not for anybody else. Maybe this is obvious to you, but maybe it's not. Um, Giving a thousand dollars to somebody on a television will not get you the Mercedes that you've always hoped for. Sorry, I hate to break it. Somebody in first service was like, oh, man. <laughs> G- giving to something, and, and for here, giving in the arrival is not going to somehow guarantee the healing of your neighbor or your spouse or your kid. That's not what, generosity is not about give to get. I heard something Gosh, I heard something 
last week that made me so uncomfortable. I heard a pastor say that they were going to give so much money to God that God would be in debt to them. That God would owe them money. Like God is some sort of cosmic banker that if we just manage our money right, we can kind of twist his arm in a certain way and then we'll be extra blessed because we've done that. Come on, that, that hits weird. It's like, oh, right? But that, this is actually pretty prevalent. There's a lot of bad theology out there. And it's, here's what I hope it does. I hope when we run into things like that, it, it does a couple of things to us. One, it makes us uncomfortable. I hope that there's a discernment on board that the Spirit of God within us goes, huh. Maybe we just do the kind of... But I also hope that it creates a desire and a passion within us to understand what the Scriptures actually do teach about time, treasures, and talents. Because the danger is we run into bad theology and then we decide, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with it at all because that's messed up. When actually the scriptures do talk about how to leverage our lives and what it looks like to be a generous person. So, so I hope that it, it teaches us to engage and ask questions and, and seek for ourselves the truth of what the scriptures actually teach. Bad theology can be something that, that challenges us. Second thing uh, that I think can happen very practical, is we live a wrong-sized lifestyle. I'll give you an example from my own life. Uh, right out of college, I moved out here from Michigan, and I lived with some friends. And these friends lived in Muckleteo, and uh, I worked a couple odd jobs. I worked at a coffee factory cleaning the coffee roasters, and I scrubbed golf carts at Harbor Point Golf Club just because I wanted to golf for free. Um, but those are two jobs that were not, like, highly lucrative. And eventually, I ended up getting a job working for a church as an intern. And so my income was, like, $1,500 a month, probably less, actually, than that. And the people that I lived with, they, uh, they loved adventure. They, they enjoyed being outdoors. They enjoyed skiing. They enjoyed going to Whistler every weekend. They enjoyed taking a plane up to the San Juans. But you know, the, here's the difference between me working, scrubbing coffee roasters, and my friends. Both of them were chiropractors. Now, I don't know if you noticed the difference. Two chiropractors, one church intern, those income levels are very different. And yet, I lived in the house, and so I was like, I want to do all these fun things. This is awesome. I'm in my early 20s. I mean, who doesn't want to go ski at Whistler, right? And so I was trying to live a wrong-sized life based on what my income was. It just didn't make sense. And what it did to me is it put me in a crazy bind. Like, I was just paycheck to paycheck trying to pay my bills, and sometimes I was stretched over, and I would get into debt because, I mean, come on, who doesn't want to? do a charter fishing trip somewhere. Wrong size living. Are you with me? Does that make sense? I think it's so easy to get stuck in this because of the world we live in. We're so consumeristic. It's about like what you can get or what you see other people have 
And then we make decisions based on what we want to be like, or we look up to somebody and we want to live like them, yet our lives could be completely different. And so we're living a wrong-sized life. And so, so maybe, like, part of the journey for us, it was a journey for me, is to acknowledge and just recognize what's true about our story and live within our means. And what that does, then, is it then opens you up to actually be more generous. Because you're not thinking, how am I going to pay all of these bills? I mean, Disney and Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and 17 other streaming platforms that we apparently have to have now. <laughs> they totally hooked us with that, didn't they? They moved to these streaming platforms. It's so cheap. You just need like 75 to watch the shows that you want to watch. All of us have stuff like that, right? We, we, it's, we just have to weigh it and say, what is my actual need and what does make sense based on my living situation? That theology, wrong size, lifestyle. Okay, let's get to 2 Corinthians. promise we're going to get there. Uh, I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, uh, talking about the context of this passage, chapter 8 and chapter 9, because it's so helpful to to picture what is actually going on in this story. And Zach mentioned a number of these things last week. Uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the disciples, they receive the Holy Spirit, they're empowered, and then it leads to this lifestyle where uh, they're caring and serving one another, what we did in Acts chapter 4. Believers empowered by the Spirit, just acting like uh, faithful people. And, and shortly after that event, uh, Paul who is totally against Christianity and like imprisoning and killing Christians, encounters Jesus and realizes, whoops. And, and Jesus changes his heart and then he becomes like the biggest missionary for Christianity that's ever existed. And he goes out and he begins to plant churches and tell people about the goodness of God. And I want to show you a map so that you can see how this plays out. Uh, Paul encounters Jesus over on kind of the right side of this map down here. But after encountering Jesus, he ends up traveling great distances to spread the good news and the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. These are all of the journeys that Paul took, not in a plane or a helicopter, like on foot or maybe, I don't know, a donkey. What would he, what would he have ridden? Maybe a donkey. It's a long ways to travel. But he was so compelled by the power of God to save him, the chief of all sinners, as he describes himself, that he just wants everybody to know God loves you and forgives you and there's hope and healing for you. So he, he goes all around. And in, in 45 AD, roughly a, a decade after this kind of outpouring and this move of the Spirit, uh, there's a famine that took place in this area. Again, Zach mentioned this last week. In, in Acts 11, they, there was a believer that actually prophesied about this. He said, if you go read Acts 11, he says, there's going to be a famine. We need to get ready for this. Sure enough, there was. And most of the food supply in, in Jerusalem came from uh, this area, Syria and Judea. But there was a, a drought that happened in that area. And so that food supply just dried up. Well, the other food supply was down in Egypt. Here's the Nile River down in the bottom here. And, and they would get food from there as well. So it's like, we'll just turn and get food from here. Well, the, the Nile River flooded during this time period. And so all the agriculture that came out of that place, they, they lost all that too. And so 
There's there's no food anywhere. And based on a, a limited food supply, guess what happened to the price of food? Whoop! So now you have people without food, very little money. These factors led to, to high poverty in Jerusalem. High poverty in the surrounding area. Some scholars believe that, that the believers in Jerusalem, most of them were completely dependent upon the generosity of other people. Meaning they were beggars. Like they survived if somebody handed them a piece of bread that day. In addition, if this wasn't challenging enough, one of the major employers in Jerusalem was the temple system. There's a lot of things that happened around the temple system. And the people in charge of the temple system at the time were these guys called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the miraculous. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so when they looked at these followers of Jesus who believed in a a resurrection and who believed in the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, they were like, and so any type of job opportunity connected to the temple for a Christian was taken away. So no food, inflation, persecution of beliefs. It was brutal to be a Christian in Jerusalem. And if that wasn't challenging enough, the famine lasted almost 20 years. Just to give you the weight of kind of what's going on around the story of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. This is what's happening as Paul is writing. And this this letter is, is dated somewhere around 55, 56 AD. So it's right in the midst of this experience that they're having. And 8 and 9 focus on generosity in response to this great need. They're trying to figure out, as followers of Jesus do, in the midst of tragedy, they, they, they were asking the question, well, how can we help? These early believers, experiencing their own tragedy, were asking the question, what can we do to serve? How can we, how can we give of ourselves to make sure everybody is fed? where we pick up in, in chapter 8, verse 16, because it's this practi- it's a very practical conversation about getting funds to Jerusalem. That's what's going on. Paul wrote from, let's bring the map back up. Paul was writing from the top of this map. I'd turn this off. That big star on the top. So he's writing from up there. He's writing to Corinth, the one that's circled, one of the churches. And he's talking about making a collection of all of these churches that he's planted all over the place, receiving the funds and then delivering it back to Jerusalem. You with me? Did I lose anybody? Not off, like so much history. Just read this stupid text. Okay, here it is. It's not stupid. Don't say that, Pastor. But thanks be to God. Second Corinthians eight sixteen. Who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So, so translation, here's what's going on. They needed somebody to take the gift that was being collected 
and journey to Jerusalem to give the gift. And Paul says, man, we were trying to figure out like how this is going to happen. And thank goodness, Titus, one of our best, like an, a man of character, a man who's honorable, a man who's respected, he stepped up and said, I will go. I will carry the gift. And not just him, but he's actually coming with a whole group of people. And they're going to deliver the gift to you. Now, keep in mind, it's in the midst of a famine, like 10 years in. So, so picture this. Hundreds of miles, maybe donkey, probably not walking with a box of money collected from a bunch of people all the way to Jerusalem. Where people don't have, imagine how dangerous this trip was. So I think that's why Paul's a little stoked. He's like, dude, Titus, you're the man! Because I didn't want to go, no. <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of danger in this story because they're carrying resource, valuable resources into Jerusalem that many people didn't have, right? So the bravery of Titus should be noted here. Continuing verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we're sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. I, I, this is so good. I love this part of the letter because, because Paul, Paul is no dummy. He, he understood the importance of having certain protocols in place when handling someone else's money. Primarily, God's money. But people's money, right? He understood that, that it was important to have a man of character leading the charge. But not just one man. Notice the text says that Titus went with a whole group of people. So within this text is this whole idea of accountability. I'm sending my best. I'm sending him with other people so that nobody thinks there's shady business happening between all of the churches in the north and Jerusalem. You see how that could be an issue? Like they show up in Jerusalem. Here, we brought the gifts. Did you bring all of the gifts? I mean, you're just rocking some sweet gear right now. Did you spend some of our money on the way? You know what I mean? So he builds into this accountability, which is so valuable. And, and today, this, I mean, this stretches into today. It's so important. We, there's protocols in place for how money is handled. It's practical. There's a certain way money is received. There's a certain way money is taken to the, our state. There's a certain way money is counted. There's a certain way that money is shared with the community. Every year we do that. Your favorite Sunday of the year where we talk about the financials of the church you're like, oh, I'm so glad I came to church today. Friends, it's so important. It's so important. It's accountability before God. And your gener we, we're, we're just stewarding the gifts that God has given us for his glory, as Paul says in this text. I get excited about this stuff. Um, I might be by myself here, but that's okay. In chapter 9, which we'll get into next week, chapter 9, um, Paul gets a little direct about his expectations. 
which I love. If, you, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, sometimes you're like, dang, Paul, like, ease up. Like, you're, you're being kind of mean. Like, you need a snack or something, Paul, because he kind of comes down hard. But don't we need that? I need that. Like, I need Paul to go, like, wake up. He does that to us in the, in the letters. We'll get to that next week. So I'm just, I'm getting you ready for what's coming next week. So we can be prayed up and ready to receive. But I want to close this morning. I want to close with um, a modern day 2023 Oak Harbor example of how the Spirit of God amongst the people of God is doing the same things that we just read about in the first century church in the Jerusalem area. Because God is still alive and well. Amen? His Spirit is still alive within us. Amen? And he is still accomplishing his purposes and his kingdom amongst us. Amen? And so there's examples of this all the time, and we like to bring them up and share because you just need to see God is, is alive and well and working amongst his people. And so recently, we just had a group from this church that came together. There was a need, and people came with their time, treasures, and talents to serve and to give glory to God through their service. Let's watch this together. 